Praise the Lord. I'm going to invite you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. We want to look at verse 35 as a beginning point. We're going to look through a lot of scriptures uh, this evening. Uh, and I, I trust that you'll be able to see things uh, concerning the healing ministry of Jesus and, and the healing ministry that Jesus has uh, commanded the church to partake in in a different way perhaps than ever before. Matthew chapter 9 verse 35 And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, mentions three things. Number one, teaching in their synagogues. Number two, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Number three, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Now, if uh, if you'll allow me just a moment or two before we go further, it's real easy to read over that real quick and just say, this was the ministry of Jesus, teaching, preaching, and healing. And, And that'd be correct. Be absolutely true. But can I ask you a question? Let's Let's break it down a little bit. When we, when the Bible says that Jesus went about their cities and villages teaching in their synagogues, do you understand that to mean he prayed about what to teach? Or do you understand that to mean the action of teaching itself? Well, it's the action of teaching, right? And then when it says they went about the cities and villages after teaching in the synagogue, first thing you put, Jesus put first teaching, or put teaching first. Then it says that he preached. The difference between preaching and teaching is very simply, it's the same word, it's the same truth. Preaching is just the proclaiming of the truth. Teaching is the explaining thereof. So when it says Jesus went, uh, was preaching the gospel of the kingdom, do you understand that to mean that he spent a lot of time in prayer during times where he had the opportunity to preach or that he just proclaimed the good news? Now certainly we know Jesus was a prayer. We know that Jesus spent all night in prayer on many occasions. We know that he fellowshiped with the Father consistently. We see before any time Jesus made a big decision in his ministry, he always spent time with the Father in prayer. But here where it defines Jesus' ministry, we don't assume that that means praying about anything, do we? We just understand that that means that he spent time teaching, telling about the goodness of God and about the kingdom of God in the synagogues, explaining to people what it meant and, and, and what belonged to them, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, proclaiming what they could have and what God's plan was. And then the third one, healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Now, do you understand that to mean praying for people's healing? In fact, can anybody tell me any time in Jesus' ministry that he prayed for anybody to be healed? Closest thing you can get is standing before Lazarus' tomb, and that really doesn't count. Because all he did standing before Lazarus' tomb is say, Father, I thank you that you hear me always. So he's not praying about anything. He's just thanking God in advance because God always hears and answers prayer. Prayer is just communication with God. Now, the Bible tells us there are different kinds of prayer. But when Jesus is standing before Lazarus' tomb, he's just communicating with God. But he's not communicating with God for God to do something. He's communicating with God to thank him that he always hears and answers his prayer. Because he knows what he's about to do. That's when he said, Lazarus, come forth. But you can't find anything in the four Gospels that tell us anything even remotely close to Jesus praying about somebody to be healed. For that reason, I want to read verse 35 again. And Jesus went about their cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing. It was an action that he took. He's not praying to God for people to be healed. He's not praying about people's healing. He's healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Now, let's keep reading. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then said he to his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye, therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Now, he's talking about praying. He's telling the disciples. It it seems to indicate that when Jesus sees the multitudes and everybody's fainting, he's saying there's too many people for me to get to. Otherwise, why is he having compassion on them? Why didn't he just say, you know, we're going to have to work longer hours here? It indicates that it's a bigger job than he or any one man can accomplish. And so what does he do? He says the answer is more people doing the work. Well, what work? Teaching, preaching, And healing, not praying for people to be healed, healing the sick. So what's he do? Chapter 10, verse 1. 
And when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power. This word power is literally the word authority. He gave them authority against or over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Notice he did not give them authority to pray for people to be healed. He gave them authority to heal sickness. All manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Now let's look at this in Luke chapter 9. Here's the same account, but I want you to see the way Luke says it. Luke chapter 9. My pages are sticking together. I'll get there in just a moment. Verse 1. Then then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority. Luke uses both words. The word meaning ability and the word meaning privilege of authority. Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to pray for the sick. That's the way we read it. Because that's what we think our job is, is to pray for the sick. Isn't it? That's not what the Bible says. He gave them power and authority over all devils. And to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Now, folks, I would submit to you, if they just pray for the sick, they're not doing their job. Because Jesus didn't send them to pray for the sick. He sent them to heal the sick. Now, if they didn't have authority to heal the sick, if they didn't have the power to heal the sick, then he's holding them to too high a standard. He's holding them to something that they can't accomplish. But it just told us that he gave us gave him power and authority over all devils, and over every sickness and every disease. So what do they do? They're commissioned then, preach the gospel of the kingdom, same thing Jesus did in his ministry, and heal the sick. The only thing left out is teaching. I guess not everybody's a teacher, but everybody can be a preacher. Everybody can tell about the goodness of God. So he sent them forth to preach the gospel of the kingdom and to heal the sick. If we just stop right there, without dispute, we would have to say that Jesus' intent for the disciples, not only his ministry, but for the disciples while he's here on the earth, is to heal the sick. Not to pray for the sick, to heal the sick, right? Now, that's where the church stops. A lot of it does anyway. A lot of the church says, yeah, well, that's what Jesus wanted while he was here on the earth, but that's not the way it is now. Well, okay, let's keep reading. Notice in chapter 10 of Luke, beginning in verse 1, it says, After these things the Lord appointed other 70 also, meaning not just 12, but now another 70. He must have been serious about this laborers going forth into the harvest thing. And he sent them two and two before his face into every city and place whether he himself would come. These are just the advanced teams. 35 teams. 35 two-man teams going into every city where he's going to wind up to tell people about the goodness of God, to tell people that Jesus is coming. Now, folks, I don't know how long it takes Jesus to cover 35 cities, but I would think by on foot it's going to take a while. Now, why? Why send these guys ahead? Why not just wait till he gets there? Jesus' fame will have reached by then. Man, everybody will be chomping at the bit for Jesus to come to their town. God's not interested in anybody having to wait. Because notice what he tells them to do. We won't read the whole thing. But, well, let's read verse 2. He said unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. That's what we just read in Matthew chapter 9. And Jesus' answer was, send his disciples out. Now he's sending more disciples out in teams of two. Skip down with me to verse 8. It says, And in whatsoever city you enter, and they receive you. This is the only qualification he puts on anything that they do. If the city will receive you, then eat such things as are set before you and heal the sick that are therein. He does not say and pray for the sick. He does not say pray for the sick. Well, what does that tell us then? That tells us in chapter, uh, in verse 1, where it says he appointed 70 other also. That means he gave them the same power to cure diseases. And we're going to find out a little bit later, a few verses later in this chapter, 
that he gave them the same authority to, to cast out devils and to heal sick or heal all manner of sickness that he gave the twelve. And into whatsoever city you enter, if they'll receive you. That's the only qualifier. If they'll receive you. Now, not every, every city received them. Or at least not every city received Jesus. We don't know too much about what happened to all of the 70. We know most of them experienced great success, but we don't know that all of them did. But you remember, Jesus was not received in the hometown of Nazareth. That was the city that rejected Jesus. The city of Chorazin and Bethsaida rejected Jesus. They wouldn't receive him. And so in those three cities that we know of, he didn't do much in the way of healing ministry. He didn't heal much. Many sick people in Nazareth, it says he only healed a few people with minor ailments. We don't really know what happened in Chorazin and Bethsaida, although we know that he refused later in his ministry after he had cursed these cities because they rejected him, wouldn't receive him. He wouldn't even go into the cities to do anything. He was in one of the places in Bethsaida, and a blind man came to him, and Jesus took him outside the city limits before he administered to him. So he must have been serious about these cities receiving him. But here's the only qualifier. And into whatsoever city you enter, if they receive you and they receive you, eat such things that are set before you and heal the sick that are therein and say unto them, the kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. Verse 17, the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. You told us about that healing stuff and that works great. But we found out you gave us authority over the devil too. And you didn't mention that. Well, isn't authority over to cast out devils and healing the sick, power to heal the sick, isn't that the same thing you gave the 70 or gave the, the 12? Now, that right there should throw a little bit of a kink in the, in the, the, the doctrine, the church doctrine that only the 12 had special healing power. Because the 70 are doing the same thing the 12 did. In other words, it looks to me like the 12 didn't have something extra special like so much of the church wants to say, because the 70 did the same work that the 12 did. As a matter of fact, it tells us more about the work of the 70 than it does the 12. But the point is still the same. He sent them not to pray for the sick, to heal the sick. Jesus must really be into healing people. At least he used to be. Now, my Bible says in Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. So as far as I'm concerned, if the Bible's true, then God's in, uh, Jesus' interest in healing the sick today would be the same as his interest in those days. And he was so interested that he sent forth, but while he was still here on the earth, he sent forth 72 people to heal the sick. That shows a little bit of interest, doesn't it? Matthew chapter 28. What happened after Jesus leaves the scene? Matthew chapter 28, it says this. After Jesus is raised from the dead, verse 18, Matthew 28, 18, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Now, folks, we could stop and talk about the power that he got that he didn't have before. Because if he had, if he had just gotten back the same power that he had before, he would have said, Guys, I'm back. It's just like it was the last three years. But he didn't. He said, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. We know that the Bible tells us that he got the keys of hell and death. He didn't have that while he was here on the earth. So he stripped the devil of his power, the keys of hell and death, and now those belong to him. So he said, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Okay, that's great, Jesus. We're glad for you. What does that mean for us? Verse 19, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Can I ask you a question? If that's the end of what Jesus told the disciples about his power, what are the disciples doing healing the sick in the book of Acts? He didn't say a word about healing the sick in Matthew 28. Matthew 28 is considered to be, these last three verses are considered to be the Great Commission. And so much of the church wants to live on that Great Commission. All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go get people saved. They think that's what that means. That's not even what he said. He didn't say go get people saved. He said go make disciples. Jesus made a distinction between people that believed on him and those who were his disciples. John chapter 8, Jesus says in verse, what is it, verse 30, 32, somewhere around there. Jesus said to those Jews who believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples. Which means not every believer is a disciple. 
He said, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So what is Jesus saying that the distinction between a believer and a disciple should be? Freedom. Believers are saved. Believers have eternal security. Heaven is their home. But disciples, those who continue in the word, are those who realize the truth of what Jesus has done for us and should walk in freedom. Which explains to me why so much of the church is in bondage. We got a lot of believers, not so many disciples. But back to my original point. If this is all Jesus says about his power, then how in the world were they able to heal the sick in the book of Acts? Doesn't say a word about it here, does he? Well, let's put together what he said from some other gospel accounts. Mark chapter 16. Verse 15, and he said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. Now he's talking about something relative to power, isn't he? That's what Matthew 28, 18 says that he said, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore. He's telling them, telling the disciples, he's telling the church to go into the earth. He's indicating the connection between verse 18 and verse 19 indicates to me that the power is something that equips them to go into all the world. Well, what's that power supposed to produce? And these signs, verse 17 in Mark chapter 16, these signs shall follow or accompany them that believe in my name. They shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. Notice the fifth sign. And they shall pray for the sick. Nope. Now he's talking to method. He said, and they shall lay hands on the sick, and they, the sick, shall recover. Now, that seems to bear out with what we see happening in the church in the book of Acts. Because if the book of Acts does not contain the power to heal, then what in the world are the disciples doing healing the sick? And again, the church says that that, so much of the church at least, says, well, that was special power that they had. The disciples said that it wasn't, and Jesus made no distinction between the disciples, the twelve, and the seventy, when he, uh, when he doled out power, when he delivered power, transferred power, to them while he was here on the earth. Why would he change after he was raised from the dead? Jesus' plan is not to minimize his work, but to multiply himself. So why would he, if he didn't limit it to 12 while he was here on the earth, why would he limit it to 12 after he's raised from the dead? Turn with me over to Acts chapter 1. Jesus says in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost part of the world. He said, you'll receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Is this the same power that he's talking about in Matthew 28, 18? All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Now he's telling them the power is available to you. Now it comes as a result of the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. These guys, if we took the time, we could prove from John chapter 20 before the day of Pentecost that these guys are already saved. They know that he's raised from the dead and they confess him as Lord. And that's what the Bible says in Romans chapter 10 are the two requirements to be saved. So now in the interim period between when they're saved and the day of Pentecost, Jesus says to them in verse 8, when the Holy Ghost is poured out on the day of Pentecost, they didn't know it was going to be the day of Pentecost at that point. We do. When the Holy Ghost is poured out, you'll receive power. Well, that's great, Jesus. What's that power going to do? We remember something about that power while we walked with you here before you went to the cross. That power enabled us to cast out devils, and that power enabled us to heal every manner of sickness and every manner of disease. We healed the sick and we cast out devils. Is that the kind of power you're talking about, Jesus? Well, what did he say? He said, and you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses. 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 What does a witness do? A witness bears to the fact of something or someone. Now, what is Jesus saying? Is he saying you'll receive power so that you can tell everybody about me? Well, yeah, that, that's part of what took place. That's on the day of Pentecost, Peter preaches and 3,000 people get saved. That's got to be supernatural power. 
If you see the things that Peter did during Jesus' ministry, something's got to have changed. The fact that he's not arguing with Jesus about what's going to happen anymore is a plus. He preaches and 3,000 people get saved. So sure, there's no question that part of the witnessing is the, the speech, the, de- the declaration of who the Son of God is. But is that the only witness that there is of Jesus? If that were the case, then why didn't Jesus tell the 12 and the 70, go into the cities before me and just tell people I'm coming? Why did he say, heal the sick if the city receives you? Because healing was in Jesus' ministry, in a Jesus' earthly ministry. Healing was a witness of the fact that Jesus was sent from God. When did that change? Jesus seems to be saying to the disciples in Mark chapter 16 that that's not supposed to change. He's saying there's still going to be supernatural signs. There's still going to be healing signs and powerful signs that identify that you are mine. That you are my disciples, that you believe in the name of Jesus. Folks, if the witness is going to be doing anything less than what Jesus did, then it's worse for the disciples after Jesus goes away than it was when he was here. Yet remember, that was the very thing Jesus said. He said to the disciples, it's better for you for me to go away. Now, folks, i got to tell you, just from a purely selfish standpoint, if I'm one of the 12 or one of the 70, and I've got power to cast out devils and power to heal the sick, but after Jesus is raised from the dead, I don't have that power, I want a refund. I want to talk to Jesus about what do you mean it's better for me that you when you go away. Now, the church, the religious church, will say, well, they traded it for the forgiveness of sins. Well, wait a minute. Jesus told his disciples at the Last Supper that they were clean by the word that he had spoken to them. So they already had forgiveness of sins. They did not have righteousness. They were not made righteous yet. That could only be accomplished by the shed blood of Jesus. And his resurrection ensured that. But it's not like they were evil in God's sight when they were here with Jesus on the earth. And where did Jesus say it's one way or the other? Didn't Jesus heal the sick because he was a righteous man? Then why? where's the idea that it has to be one way or the other? Jesus never said so. As a matter of fact, if the book of Acts is any indication to us of what a witness is supposed to look like, That witness is supposed to look like a healing witness. Because that was a big part of what they did. Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Ghost is poured out. The very next thing it tells us after these 3,000 people get saved, and they all started gathering together in fellowship and praising God together, Acts chapter 3 tells us about the man that was healed at the beautiful gate. Verse 1, now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour, and a certain man lame from his mother's womb, that means all of his life, Never has walked. A certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. Who, talking about the crippled man, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for an alms. That means he's asking for money. He's asking for a handout. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he, the crippled man, gave heed unto them, Peter and John, expecting to receive something of them. Or from them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength. Can I ask you a question? Where did Peter pray for this guy to be healed? Can we safely conclude that what happens here in Acts chapter 3 is at least a part of what Jesus meant when he said in Acts 1.8, but you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me. If not, this is the perfect place for God to reprimand Paul, uh, Peter for acting out of turn. But I would submit to you the fact that it worked is a pretty good indicator that he was in the will of God operating according to what Jesus planned all along. You know what's interesting to me about this? The disciples who held the power of God in their hands, who had the power to cast out devils and to heal every manner of sickness and disease, they're not bugged by this. They're not running around saying, whoa, we've got the power. They're used to the power. There was a period of time, a few short days, a few weeks after, actually, between Jesus' crucifixion on the cross and the day of Pentecost where that power didn't work. 
But Jesus has already told them, when the Holy Ghost is poured out, that power will be yours again. So what do they do? Right out of the gate, they heal the sick. They don't pray for the sick, they heal the sick. They're not called. Please understand this. Jesus did not call his disciples, and if you're a disciple, that means you too. He did not call his disciples to pray for the sick. He called them and commissioned them to heal the sick. There's no prayer here. Peter says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. And the guide does. That's what healing the sick looks like, folks. Look with me over to Acts chapter 5. We'll skip over the time where they talk to the, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Jewish council and, and they're threatened and all this other kind of stuff. Notice in Acts chapter 5, beginning in verse 12, and it says, And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. I wonder if that had anything to do with the power that they received when the Holy Ghost was poured out that Jesus talked about in Acts 1.8. Well, of course it does. Where else would they get the power for signs and wonders and miracles? And by the hands of the apostles. Notice it's not by the prayers of the apostles. It's by the hands of the apostles. Now, folks, if you think that I'm denigrating prayer, then I'm not communicating very well. Prayer is a very important thing. But there's a difference about in praying about something and doing something. And I think so often when it comes to healing the sick or when it comes to, to healing, period, I think we, we, we fall back on this praying for the sick stuff. But the commission is to heal the sick. Okay, thanks for coming. Am I reading something into this that's not there? Doesn't the Bible say over and over again, heal the sick? Have we found anywhere where it says pray for the sick? Then why do we emphasize praying for the sick? Acts chapter 5, let's keep reading, verse 12. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people, or worked among the people, in other words. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. That means they are in the temple. And of the rest dared no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. And believers were the more added to the Lord multitudes, both of men and women, insomuch. There's such a crowd, insomuch that they brought forth the sick into streets, into the streets, and laid them on beds and couches, that at the very least, Peter might pray for them as he passed by. That's not what it says. That at the least, the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. There came also a multitude out of the cities round about unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folks and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed every one. That does not say they were prayed for every one. It says they were healed every one. Now, folks, I don't know how big a crowd this is, but the church gets a pretty good start because on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people get saved. As a result of Acts chapter 3, the crippled man at the beautiful gate being healed, 5,000 people get saved. Now, I don't know what has happened between Acts chapter 3 when the 5,000 people get saved and now over in Acts chapter 5. I don't know what period of time that is, but it says believers were added more to the Lord every day. So that means there's got to be days in between at least. How many days? I don't know. A few days? A week? A a month? I don't know. But we've got at least 8,000 people plus word is going out that so many signs and wonders, the power of God is in such evidence that people are coming from the cities around about Jerusalem They're traveling into town so that they can at least get Peter's shadow to cross over them so they can be healed. And on top of that, you've got people that have other situations and other circumstances of healing or a need for healing and that are vexed with unclean spirits and they're getting healed too. It sounds to me like a healing extravaganza. And you don't find one word about praying for the sick. Not one Let's keep going. What happens next? Skip with me over to Acts chapter 9. First part of the chapter tells us about Paul and his conversion experience. But let's start reading in verse 32. 
And it came to pass, as Peter passed throughout all the quarters, he came down also to the saints which dwelt at Lydda. That means he's in another city named Lydda and not in Jerusalem. In case anybody thinks that this healing stuff only works in Jerusalem. And there he found a certain man named Aeneas, which kept his bed eight years and was sick of the palsy. And Peter said unto him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole, arise and make your bed. And he arose immediately. He did not take a knee and pray. What did he say? Now, this is going to be important. Keep this in mind. It's going to be important because he makes a declaration. He said, Jesus Christ made you whole. Literally, it means this. Jesus Christ has healed you. How? Well, Peter's the one that says and uses the same phrase in the letter that he writes to the church that by the stripes of Jesus you are healed. Same exact Greek phrase. He's saying, by Jesus Christ you are healed. It's a declaration. It's not a prayer. It's a declaration. And he's healed. And the results are pretty good. All they that dwelt at Lydda and Saron, two cities, saw him and turned to the Lord. Not bad results. Now let's skip over to Acts chapter, uh, what do we want to go? Acts chapter 14. Let's go over to Paul. Maybe this was just something special that Peter had. Well, he said it wasn't when he talked to the Jewish council in Acts chapter 3. He said, why you look you so earnestly on us as if by our own power, our own holiness, we'd made this man to walk. In other words, he's saying we don't have anything special because of our place with Jesus or because we're apostles. It's the name of Jesus that did the work. Folks, do you hear anybody say the name of Jesus has changed today? Hear a lot of people say that healing is different today than it was in the early days of the church. Well, when Peter said and identified that the healings took place because of the power of the name of Jesus, do you hear anybody saying the name of Jesus has changed? Would anybody dare say the name of Jesus has changed? Nope. So if the healing works are done in the power of the name of Jesus or because of the name of Jesus, and if the name of Jesus never changes, why shouldn't there be the same healing works today? Acts chapter 14 uh, talks about Paul and his company. There was uh, verse 5, and when there was an assault made both of the Gentiles and also of the Jews with their rulers to use them despitefully and to stone them, they were aware of it and fled into the cities of Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia and under the region that lies round about. And there they preached the gospel. There they preached the gospel. The gospel is the good news of Jesus, isn't it? There they preached the gospel. And there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. God cares about crippled people. The same, verse 9, the same heard Paul speak, who, steadfastly beholding him, Paul saw this guy, and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, prayed, Lord, please let him be well. Said with a loud voice, stand upright on your feet, and he leaped and walked. Notice how this healing work was done. This healing work was done by the proclaiming of what Jesus has accomplished for us on the cross. Folks, if healing was not accomplished by Jesus on the cross, it's impossible for this guy to be healed. Because he got healed by having faith in what they preached, and the Bible identifies it as preaching the gospel. Now, I know a lot of the church says today that preaching the gospel doesn't contain healing. But Paul's gospel contained healing. You're just an excitable bunch tonight, no matter what I do, aren't you? Can you see it? Look, I, I don't care if you hoop and holler, but it is important for you to see it. All right, let's keep going a little bit. Uh, we're running out of time, so let's skip over some things. Turn with me over to Acts chapter uh, 28. We'll fast forward a bit to toward the end of Paul's ministry. Paul's on his way to Jerusalem. He winds up being shipwrecked on a certain island named Melita. Verse 7, Acts chapter 28. And in the same quarters were possessions of the chief man of the island, whose name was Publius, 
who received us and lodged us three days courteously. And it came to pass that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and of a bloody flux, to whom Paul entered in and prayed, laid his hands on him and healed him. Oh, oh. We've got a case where somebody prayed. Folks, I want to encourage you to do something. There are about five different words that are used in the New Testament for the word pray or prayed or prayer. And all five of those words have a different meaning. This is the word that's used most often as a general pray or general means of pray. This is the same thing as Jesus standing before Lazarus' tomb saying, Father, I thank you, hear me always. It's also defined as to supplicate, which in this case just means communicate with God. It also means to worship. So where it's saying that Paul prayed, he's not asking God for anything. He's worshiping God. Now, we do that a lot of times, don't we? A lot of times before we, we, we pray about something specific in our lives, before we minister to somebody, we'll just thank God for his goodness. We'll thank him because his words is true. We make a general communication to, uh, with the Father, and that's what this word pray means. It generally means to pray. So what does Paul do? Is it his prayer that does the job? No, because if it was his, the prayer that does the job, there'd be no need for him to lay hands on him. But he prays a general worshiping prayer, and then he lays his hands on him and healed him. Who healed him? Now, it's easy for us to get religious and say, oh, God healed him. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says Paul healed him. Now, in case you think that I'm trying to take anything away from the power of God to heal, I am not. If you think that I'm taking anything away from Jesus' sacrifice and by his stripes we were healed, I'm not. But the point is simply this. Jesus didn't pray to the Father for anybody to be healed. He healed the sick. Jesus commissioned the disciples. He gave them power over unclean spirits and to heal every manner of sickness and disease. And he commissioned them to preach the gospel of the kingdom and to heal the sick. He didn't say, I'll heal them through you. He said, heal the sick. It's not Jesus' job to heal the sick. He's already done everything he's ever going to do about healing by taking stripes upon his back 2,000 years ago. It's the church's job to heal the sick. And I think in a lot of, lot of ways, the church abdicates that responsibility, or at least attempts to, by saying, we'll pray for the sick. The church is not commissioned to pray for the sick. The church is commissioned to heal the sick. Paul prayed general worship prayer and laid his hands on the man and healed him. Paul did two things. He laid hands on the man. God sure didn't do that, did he? No, those were Paul's hands that went on the guy. And the second thing he did was he healed them. God didn't do that. Now, certainly we know it was the power of God that caused the result. But Paul did the work to fulfill the commission of healing the sick. Now, what did that do? Verse 9. So then when this was done, others also which had diseases in the island came and were healed. Doesn't say a word about Paul praying for the sick there, does it? Not a word. Why? Because the importance is not placed on the praying, it's pra- placed on the commissioning to heal. Now turn with me over to Acts, to, uh, or, uh, James chapter 5. James chapter 5. Some of you that know what these verses say are thinking I've already blown my whole sermon now by going to James 5. No, I haven't. Because we've laid the the foundation for it. We've laid the groundwork for it. James chapter 5, verse 14. Is any sick among you? We've said this before, but I'll keep saying it till Jesus comes back. The implication is among the church, among the people of God, there shouldn't be any sick. That's why I ask, is there any sick among you? You wouldn't write that to the church nowadays, would you? You'd say the 75 or 80% of you that are sick, here's what you need to do. But he says, is any sick among you? The implication is, there shouldn't be. But if there is, there's good news. Is any sick among you? Let them, the sick, call for the elders of the church, and let them, the elders, pray. Uh Uh-oh. Blown the whole thing, haven't we? Had you convinced that we're supposed to heal the sick, now the Bible says to pray for the sick. No, actually it doesn't. This word pray is the same general word for pray that is shown in action by Jesus standing before Lazarus' tomb, saying, Father, I thank you, you hear me always. 
It's the same word that's used in Acts chapter 28. What is it, verse 8 or 9, something, whichever verse that is? It's a general worship term. It means to communicate with the Father. Certainly we recognize that God is our source. Certainly we recognize that Jesus is the healer. Certainly we recognize that. But what the church, in my opinion, fails to recognize is that we have been commissioned by the head of the church to heal the sick. Not to pray for them, to heal them. Is any sick among you? Let them call for the elders of the church. And let them pray over them. Let the elders pray over them, anointing with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save or heal the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. The prayer of faith shall save or heal the sick. The prayer of faith shall heal the sick. Can I ask you a question? Bottom line, uh, let's cut through the, the language and let's conjugate whatever we need to in the sentence and the statements that are that are made. What is the bottom line of what's desired? Is it prayer? No. Is it faith? No. The bottom line, the ultimate goal here is the healing of the sick. Everything else about this is showing us the method or the manner in which the healing of the sick comes about. Now, what about it here? It says the prayer of faith shall save or heal the sick. This word prayer is a different word that's used in the previous verse. It's not the general oratory or worship word for prayer. This word means to vow or declare. You remember in, uh, that we looked at in Acts chapter uh, 9 where Peter said, Aeneas, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole? That's the declaration or the vow of faith. That's the prayer of faith in action. It's him making a declaration, here's what's done, here's what belongs to you. That's the, the prayer, that's the kind of prayer, that's the action that brings about the healing of the sick in the church. This is not an asking. This is not a petition. This is not, oh, God, please do something. This is a declaration of faith. And the vow or the declaration of faith shall save or heal the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up. How are the sick healed in the church? Through the vow of faith. So what is the church commissioned to do? The church is commissioned to heal the sick by declaring in faith the finished work of Jesus. Um, E.W. Kenyon, who a lot of people have been told a lot of lies about, makes a, um, makes a statement in one of his books that, um, that I had a hard time with for a long time. I mean, Brother Kenyon was way beyond his time. He saw things that uh, that didn't seem like many people in his day saw at all. His understanding of righteousness is, is in my opinion, the greatest of anybody that I've ever heard speak on the subject. And he said something one time that, again, I had a real hard time with. And he said something along this line. He said the Lord spoke to him one time. He said, quit praying for the sick and heal them. And his response was, Lord, increase my faith. He said, Lord, I see that you've commissioned the church to heal the sick, but you're going to have to increase my faith. You're going to have to give me a greater measure of faith. And the Lord spoke this to him, and he wrote in his book. He said that Jesus asked him point blank. He said, why do you need faith to operate something that is yours? And he used the example of, uh, of a car. He said, if you've got keys to your car, you don't need faith to operate your car. How many of you go out into your car and pray, oh, please, God, let this thing work? If you had an old junker, maybe that prayer would be appropriate. I, there was a time in my life where that prayer was used pretty often. But you see my point. You don't pray or expect or look for faith to use something that you know is yours. Do you? You sit down at your house with the remote control in your hand. Do you pray about it? Or do you just push the buttons? You use it. You use everything that you know is yours. You don't pray about it. You don't seek for faith. Now, when it comes to spiritual things, there is an operation of faith, but it's, uh, I hate to use the word unconscious, but it, at least it's not something that we focus on. 
Anytime we use the name of Jesus, there's faith involved in that because we're using the name of Jesus in accordance with what the Word said to do. But if you know the name belongs to you, you're not saying, boy, I hope this works, I hope this works, I hope this works. You're using what's yours. You don't need faith for the salvation that you've already received. You don't need faith for having been made righteous. Now, if you mess up, you appropriate that righteousness by faith, even though you know your lifestyle has not lived up to it. But when it comes to the ordinary use of the things that you have through the resurrection of Jesus, through his sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection, you don't need faith to use it. Guess what? In the same way, healing has been given to the church. And in that sense, when it comes to ministering healing, it doesn't take faith to operate it. Now, we make a vow of declar- or a vow or a declaration of faith to declare what Jesus has already accomplished. But we don't make it so that something happens. We make it because it's true. I, I hope I'm making that clear. Do you understand what I mean? You don't need faith to use something that you know is yours. A lot of people are struggling with the subject of faith because they don't know it's theirs. They're trying to convince themselves. They may be trying to talk themselves into to believing that it's really mine, it's really mine, it's really mine. But folks, Jesus really commissioned the church, heal the sick. Not to pray for them, to heal the sick. We don't pray for people to get saved. Do you know what I mean by that? We may pray ahead of time that people will respond to the message of salvation. But when if we gave an altar call and people came to the front, we wouldn't pray that they'd get saved. Why? Because we know salvation has already been accomplished for them. We would lead them into the means whereby they receive it. But in the simplest way, we would minister salvation to them rather than pray for their salvation. That's what healing the sick is. It's ministering healing instead of praying for healing. Jesus commissioned the church to heal the sick. And the only qualification that we see in Jesus dealing with the disciples was for people to receive it. He told the 70, into whatsoever city you you enter into, if they receive you, then heal the sick that are therein and say, the kingdom of God's come nigh unto you. I think we need to quit praying for the sick and start healing them. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Well, let's generally pray and worship God for a moment. See what the Lord would have us to do. Hallelujah. Lord, we bless you. We magnify your name. We thank you that you hear us always. We thank you that you have commissioned the church to heal the sick. You've given us the same power to cast out devils and to heal every manner of sickness and every manner of disease among the people that you gave the Disciples, when you are here on the earth, thank you, Lord, that healing power belongs to the church. Thank you, Lord, that healing power belongs to the church. We don't have to pray for healing power because it's already ours. We don't have to pray that you'll heal the sick because Jesus has already accomplished healing for the sick. Thank you, Lord. For the healing power of God. For the healing power of God. For the healing power of God. Brother, I, uh, are you folks there with him? The fellow in the wheelchair? Could you bring him down here, please? Right there is good. What's the matter with this fellow? Had a brain tumor and during surgery he had a stroke. When did this take place? Five years ago. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. When uh, when you came into um, he didn't have any trouble understanding. I know he has trouble communicating, but he didn't have any trouble understanding, does he? Okay. Um, when you came into prayer school, my heart really went out to you. There was something about 
my spirit that reached out towards you. And, uh, and you're the primary reason that I preach this tonight. It belongs to anybody. But you're the, the primary reason that I preached what I did tonight. I wasn't planning to go this direction. Can I ask you a couple of questions? Okay. Do you believe God can heal you? Yeah. Okay. Got one more question. Yeah. You ready? Yeah. Okay. Do you believe that I'm the servant of God? Yeah. Okay. Then be healed in the name of Jesus. Yeah. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's lift our hands and thank God because His Word is true. Oh, Father, we thank You. You said that the declaration of faith shall save or heal the sick, and You would raise them up. I thank You, Father, that this brother is healed by the stripes of Jesus. I thank You that You're raising him up in Jesus' name. I thank You, Father, for a miraculous work. A miraculous work to restore him to divine health. In the name of Jesus. 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 Hallelujah. Lord, you're so good. Thank you. That we can say with confidence, even as Jesus did before Lazarus' tomb. Thank you, Lord, that you hear us always. Thank you, Lord, that you hear us always. Blessed be the name of Jesus. 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 Restored in 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 the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Blessed be your name, Lord. Glory to God. Lord, we worship you. We worship you. We worship you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that our brother is healed in Jesus' name. Jesus Christ has made him whole in the name of Jesus. In the name, the name, the name, the name that's above every name. Blessed be the name of Jesus. 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 Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Bless you, Lord. Bless you for raising my brother up.
bless you, Lord Jesus. Could everybody put your hands down and open your eyes and look up here at me for a minute? I want to be honest. I want you to be honest with me when I ask you a question. I don't, I don't care if you respond, but I want you to honestly evaluate what I'm going to ask you. How many of you are praying that God will do something for this fellow? Why? Doesn't the Bible say he already has? See, here's where we miss it. We declare that by the stripes of Jesus, our brother is healed. And then people start praying, oh, Lord, please do something. Raise him up, Lord, do something. Why? Isn't the Bible true where it says Jesus has already took his infirmities and bore his sicknesses? And with his stripes, our brother is healed. We've just made that declaration of faith. Now, if you feel bad for me, forget it. I'm not under any pressure. I don't have the power to heal anybody. But I have been commissioned to heal the sick. So we did exactly what the Bible says. We made a declaration of faith. So instead of asking God to do something, let's start thanking him for what Jesus has already done. That makes all the difference in the world. All the difference in the world. We're not trying to make something happen, folks. At least I'm not. I'm not trying to make something happen. I'm simply acting on the word of God because I believe it's true. God's responsible for his word, not me. It says the Lord will raise him up. That doesn't have to mean an instant healing. I mean, instant healings are great. I'd love that too. But whether it is or whether it isn't, I don't think a brother's going to mind how it comes as long as it comes. At least that's the way I feel. Isn't that true for you too? So we've got to be careful that we, when we say we're believing God, but then we're saying, oh, Lord, let it be, let it be, let it be, let it be. How does that believe in God? But if we turn around and say, oh, thank you, Father, that it is. That's faith. So let's try that again. What do you say? I'm walking around here thinking, why is there unbelief in the room? No need for it. Our brother is healed by the stripes of Jesus. So let's thank him because that's true. Hallelujah. Lord, we bless you. We magnify your name. Thank you that our brother is healed by the stripes of Jesus. Thank you, Father, that Jesus took his infirmities and bore his sicknesses. And with his stripes, our brother is healed. Thank you, Father, that he's healed from the effects of the stroke. Thank you, Father, that he's healed from the effects of the tumor. Thank you, Father, that he's restored to divine health from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. Thank you, Lord, that you're raising him up. Oh, Father, what a privilege it is to heal the sick. What a privilege it is to work in cooperation with the name of Jesus. To see supernatural and even miraculous things. Thank you that it's done, Father. In Jesus' name. It's done in Jesus' name. It's done in Jesus' name. What do you say, brother? Is it done? Amen. 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 Let's all stand together. Let's lift our hands one more time and thank God that it's done. Oh, Father, we bless your name. As Jesus said, we thank you that you hear us always. Thank you that you hear us always. Thank you that you always honor your word. Thank you, Father, that in every situation your word is true. Therefore, it is true that our brother is healed. In Jesus' name. 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 Hallelujah. Well, Lord, is there anything else we need to do before we go? I've obeyed you. I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for this night. I thank you for the turnaround that it'll make in me and in our church. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Well, say it with me. The Lord is good. And His mercy endures forever. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.